Welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. If you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, you probably knew of Kimchi back in 2016 when she made the finals on season eight. But these days, she's also known for being the CEO and founder of Kimchi Chic Beauty. Launched in 2019, it's been nationally distributed in CVS for a year now and operates under the brand incubator created by the founder of NYX Cosmetics. I talked to Kimchi all about how she got started in drag and how she learned her elaborate makeup artistry techniques with no formal training. We also talked about the founding story of the brand and how she's gaining traction for it as one of the first beauty brands on TikTok's shopping feature. Kimchi also uses her platform to speak out about bias and discrimination, so we talked about the drag queen ban attempts happening across the country. Here's the interview. Kimchi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's start by going back to the very beginning. When did you first get into makeup and drag? So I'm sort of an accidental drag queen and an accidental makeup artist. I've always been like a fine artist and um, like artist my entire life. Um, I've done like painting, sculpting, graphic design. But um, for Halloween one year, my best friend at the time was like, want to do um, drag for fun on Halloween with me? So then um, we went to the makeup store or not even makeup store. We went to the costume store and bought some, like, crappy costume makeup and some brushes from Walgreens. And we practiced our makeup for a month, and then we went out. And then that's how I got started. <laughs> so how long ago was this? This was back in Halloween 2012. So you've been described since then as one of the most prolific drag makeup artists of all time. How did you learn makeup artistry after that? Where did you find instructions? Did you ever study it? Such so a time I was coming in about nowadays, there's like so many tutorials, um, so many like, you know, like guides where you can follow. But when I first started, there was basically like nothing. So everything was basically self-taught. But I thought of it as um, kind of like an oil painting. Um, where my face is the canvas and like makeups or like the oil paint, but it's like an art that washes away at the end of the night. So, yeah, I would use like painting techniques to like paint my face, and then um, I pick up like little tips here and there, getting ready with like the other queens. Um, when I became like a working queen, um, and then just kind of like evolved from there. And tell us about your art background. Did you formally study art, or how did you get into that? So I went to college for graphic design because, you know, like, if you want to pursue art, do an art that makes money. <laughs> um, and I was actually doing graphic design work, but I actually ended up hating it because it was a lot of, like, corporate work. And when you do corporate work, um, every single piece of art you create goes through, like, 20 revisions each with, like, 20 different people. And a lot of those people might not have, like, an artist eye or, or artistic eye or, an, like, artistic background. Um, and essentially, uh, you're designing for people um, without a, a trained eye for art, which is fine because, you know, just like how you sell to the masses, I guess. But then it just felt very like soul draining. And I take time to create something. And after the revisions, I'll just be left with like some Helvetica font on a paper. And I was like, this is like not fulfilling at all. And then drag came at the right time. 
Um, and then once I started booking gigs like left and right and became like a working queen, I quit my graphic design job and basically became a full-time drag queen. <laughs> okay, so you were doing that full-time when you got onto Drag Race, right? Uh, I was doing that part-time. Then I was also working as a server at a fine dining restaurant in downtown Chicago. Which restaurant? It's called Atwood. Oh, I've heard of that, actually. So before you joined Drag Race Season 8 in 2016, what was the process like for becoming a contestant on the show? Was it a really intense tryout process? So I know like a lot of queens, um, they like apply every year and things like that. Um, I applied and got on the first time. <laughs> And the application process wasn't hard at all. The only thing is you have to, like, make a video, um, like a 20-minute video. And you, know, you have to show, like, your runway walk, your looks, um, your personality, like a lip-sync portion and, like, an acting portion. And around the audition time, every single drag queen are all making their audition tapes. And in my drag queen friend group, it kind of became like this like fun, friendly little competition where we wouldn't tell each other like what we were doing at all. And we were all being very like secretive. And before like we would like borrow each other's like looks um, for gigs and things like that. But, you know, we all just like save our looks, you know, for our video. <laughs> and at the end, when we all submitted the tape, um, we all got together and watched each other's audition tape, uh, which was really fun. And I made it on. <laughs> That's amazing. What was it like when you found out the news? How did you find out? It was very exciting, but also like I had like a good feeling about it because um on season seven when they released a cast, there wasn't a single Asian queen in the cast. And there was like a rumor going around like among the fans that there was like a secret Asian queen um that wasn't the season that like that they haven't revealed as a cast yet. And for some reason, everybody assumed that was me. <laughs> so then um, I ended up getting, like, a lot of, like, random followers from that. <laughs> so then when I applied for season eight, I was like, oh, here comes a secret Asian queen. She's applying for real this time. And then I got on. So tell us about your aesthetic on the show. How did you come up with your looks? And what kind of themes did you focus on? So my goal when I wanted the show was um, to do a completely different makeup each runway i like to consider myself like a versatile painter like i can basically paint myself to look whatever however i wanted to um and i definitely wanted to showcase that in the show but also i wanted to keep my branding strong which is like a live action anime character um so and basically what you saw on the show is what happened <laughs> yeah where do you get your sources of inspiration so when i first started doing drag um, when I did my makeup, I would replicate like the crazy makeup that I would see on the runway, especially works of Pat McGrath for Galliano Dior. Um, yeah, she did some like crazy, fun, like creative makeup. And I'll do that on myself. And because naturally I have like small eyes, like my features are very Asian. So I started putting white under eyeliner, like under my eyes. And then soon I started making myself look more cartoony. Um, Hence why, like, the live-action anime character, um, the person I was born. Are you a big anime fan? Do you watch a lot of anime? Yes, actually. I've been watching anime my entire life. I think since I was, like, 
as long as I can remember, like my parents like raised me on like um, VHS from like Disney, and then when I I went to like kindergarten and elementary school in Korea, and every day at six o'clock, um, the anime comes on television. So I watched it religiously my entire childhood, and then I moved back to the States um, to go to like middle school and high school here. And around that time, Cartoon Network had Toonami, where um, from 4 p.m. to like 6 p.m. they showed anime and Cartoon Network. Um, yeah. And now I just use Crunchyroll to watch whatever anime I want to my heart's desire. Do you have a favorite anime character that inspires your makeup looks? Not a character per se, but I have an artist that I love, and it's called. They're called Clamp. It's a collective of four women, and they've put out so many different like comic series. They're always working on like, not just like one series, but several stories at a time, and like Cardcaptor Sakura, uh, Magic Knight Rares, um, X, Tokyo Babylon, Wish, Chobits, um, Subasa. Yeah, their works are countless. But um, Cardcaptor Sakura in particular, if you see, like, the manga, all the illustration is done in anime, but, like, Art Nouveau-inspired style. And, like, a lot of, like, that art style and the fashion uh, that I read in the manga um, became, like, a huge inspiration for Kim. And then in terms of techniques, what is the process like of transferring a look from an animated cartoon to your face. How difficult is that? Uh, for me, I find it easy. <laughs> Just because also, like, I've been doing it for so long now. Um, and every time um, I do my makeup, it feels very, like, therapeutic. So I just, like, sit down, I put on, like, whatever music I want to listen to, and I just completely, like, zone out for, like, an hour. And the next thing you know, my makeup is done. <laughs> and then on Drag Race... Did you have any makeup artists helping at all, or was it all you? Uh, no, there's no makeup artist helping. On, like, promo photo shoot days, there's, like, I'm like a makeup artist on set to just, like, powder your, like, nose or something like that um, for, like, little touch-ups. But all the queens, they do their own makeup. And your performances on the show sparked so much conversation at the time, especially your song for the finale when you were in the top three finalists. Looking at articles before this interview, I saw so many think pieces and there were even academic articles out there talking about it. Did you want to share the details on the messages you wanted to convey through your performances? Yeah. In the gay community, I mean, these gays are very picky, right? So you look at like a lot of their like dating profiles. And not so much nowadays. I feel like we've... Um, together as a community, as a collective, are just becoming, like, more aware of, like, others and, like, not alienating anybody. But back then, <laughs> before, like, the social justice warriors and, like, the woke era, um, a lot of people's profile would straight up say, like, no spice, no rice, no Asians, no fats, no femmes. Like, only, like, white muscle guys apply. <laughs> just a lot of stuff like that. Which, you know, for someone who is all of the above, that's very alienating, you know? And you can have a preference, but um, you don't need to, like, put, the, put it out there like that. <laughs> so, but nowadays, if you dare to, like, put that in your profile, people would, like, dox you. It could ruin your career. So, yeah, I think people 
are just becoming more aware not to do that now. Yeah, how common was that before you went on the show? Oh my god, it was very common. It was around the time, you know, where people would say the T word without thinking. Um, even on like national television, you know? <laughs> and then after the show, what kind of changes did you see? Did you see like an immediate effect from your role on the show? Or when did you see it start to change? Mm, it was gradual, but um, a lot of the meet and greets... Um, a lot of, like, the Asian fans will come up to me and say, like, hey, what you said on the show, like, that really meant so much to me. Um, I've always, like, struggled with, you know, like, seeing, like, so much, like, hate and, like, dating profiles. And, like, one told me, like, I thought I'd never be able to date in America because I just thought, like, Asians weren't desired. And I was like, that is not the case. You know, you are just as beautiful as the white guy next door. It's not more. <laughs> And then after you placed in the top three on Drag Race, what impact did that have on your career? How did it change? Oh, my God. I honestly changed my life. <laughs> it's always been my goal to um, travel the world in someone else's time. <laughs> and I got to basically name a city. I've been there. I'll name any major city. I've been there. Name like a random small town. I've probably been there, too. I've been to five different continents. I haven't been to Africa yet. And Antarctica, but I doubt I'll be going to Antarctica for drag. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, basically I got to, one of my, like, childhood dreams came true. And then, um, but not only that, being able to, like, oh, my God, I got to actually, like, meet Pat McGrath and, like, work for her. Like, who is, like, my idol um, when it comes to, like, the makeup. Um, and then meeting all these, like, celebrities that I love and telling them, like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I was like, no, like, I'm a fan of you. <laughs> it's given me so much opportunities. And, yeah, basically it was life-changing, you know. I don't think I'll be able to open up Kim Chic Beauty without the help of a show. Yeah, so let's get into the founding story of the brand. So... Drag Race ended, you were traveling the world. When did you get the idea to start a beauty brand? So when I first started 2012, the makeup scene was very different back then. It was before like the influencers came along. And it was before um, there were pigmented makeup in the market. So if I wanted like a specific like bright color shadow, I'd have to like pay 20 bucks for like a little thing of like Ben Nye that would be like 20 bucks. And sometimes it wouldn't even be that pigmented or even like show up on my skin. I told myself like one day I'm going to create a line that is cheap and affordable, but like a lot of people can experiment. And then that's how she came about. My biggest goal was um, I didn't want this to be perceived as like another merch that I was putting out. But I want this to be like a staple in a lot of people's lives. So you know like how like, for example, Cody Earspun, like a lot of people have in their home and like it's just like part of their like routine. Like the Mac Chestnut Liner, some people can't live without it, but they don't even think about it. You know, like they always like have it in their kit. Some people always have to have like, I don't know, like the Shiseido, whatever. Yeah, I want to come to Chic Beauty products to be like, a staple in people's lives um, that they can't, like, live without. And you launched the brand with bespoke beauty brands. 
which is the incubator mm-hmm. founded by NYX Cosmetics founder Tony Coe. How did that partnership come about? How did you meet her? So when Tony, um, after Tony sold NYX Cosmetics, she was in like a non-compete clause um, where she couldn't be in the makeup industry for certain years. Um, so during that time, I mean, she's like an entrepreneur, so she has like million businesses. But one of the business, um, she had a sunglass business, Perverse Sunglasses, which rebranded to Thomas Jean Sunglasses eventually. Um, but during that time, they were trying to exhibit at DragCon. So then we partnered up together on like a little like mini capsule sunglass collection thing. And then after that, when her um, non-exclusive contract was coming up, I had just moved to LA at the time because I was um, trying to like start my own makeup company and I knew like all the makeup labs were out here. And then Tony actually like reached out to me like to go out for dinner and then we went for dinner. And I was like, oh, I live in LA now. I'm just trying to like, start my own makeup company. And she's like, oh, that's actually the reason why I called this meeting. And I'm like, oh. And next thing you know, the rest is history. She had a vision. She she could see what you were working on. Oh, my gosh. she. There's a reason why successful people are, you know, like the way they are. You know, they see what they want. They go for it. She, to me, is like my American dream. <laughs> like one day when I grow up, I want to be her. So tell me about the development process for the first products. What was the testing process like? Did you try it out on yourself a lot? So basically, in all the products we carry, I tried out. You know, it's not tested on animals, just a little kimchi. <laughs> Honestly, trying makeup is exhausting, but it's also a fun part. And at the end, your entire arm is just like smeared with like swatches like all over. It almost looks like a rainbow, like, puked up on your arm or something. But that's the part, best part of the job. How long was the development process? So what, do people don't, what a lot of people don't realize is, like, makeup takes, like, a long time to come out. If you're doing, like, a collaboration collection, it takes at least, like, a full year from, like, development to, like, creating to... Because, you know, you have to, like, create... Not just the packaging, but like, you know, you have to like find the components and you have to kind of find the formula and you have to like keep working with the labs until like the formula is perfect. Um, and then, you know, the product has to be made and has to be like shipped and has to make it out into our warehouse. And, you know, so like when a brand like launches something and then another brand launches something similar, like right after, um, People are like, oh, this company like copied this. And it's like, no, they probably just had it working at the same time and they didn't know. Like, it's not possible to just like copy what someone else is doing and like really the same products like two weeks later. That's just not possible. And what were the first products that you came out with? The first ones we launched were High Key Glosses, uh, the Rainbow Sharks palette. So we started off like, we're like a small skew, but we just kept like adding on more and more and more. The concealers came after um, Diamond Shards. Oh, Diamond Shards were at lunch too. And then after that, it was Setting Spray. The foundation eventually came after. Um, and then, then the, my, the collaborations were happening every year. First was Naomi and then Plastic Tiara and then Trixie. Yeah, <laughs> there's so many products, but yeah, basically the ones we started with, 
hockey gloss diamond shards and rainbow shards palette. Yeah, so you had that Plastic Tiara collab. What have you seen with TikTok? Have you done a lot of marketing on TikTok and with TikTok influencers? Yeah, so we work with a company called Orca. And basically, uh, we are the first makeup brand that TikTok is officially like working with um, to get our like products out there. It's basically like QVC, but in TikTok. Um you know, Orca is like amazing host, this girl named Christian. Um, she's really great and she loves our products. Um, she loves us. So she's very like enthusiastic. That TikTok live shop actually has almost kind of like created a community in itself. So there's like a lot of people who are regulars and there's someone who comes on like every live. Um, there's someone like who actually like buys makeup for people like that are in the live. Um, and we all have like our like little inside jokes there. Um, I come on about, like, once a month or so, um, like, just to say hi, like, to the fans. And the sales have been great. We offer, like, a lot of, like, special deals or, like, discounts that you can only get during TikTok live shops. Uh, times are changing because um, before, like, people watched, like, cable TV to, like, you know, like, watch QVC. But nowadays, everybody's on their phone and no one has cable anymore. So... Um, if they like love our brand, they can also like follow us and it notifies you when like TikTok shop goes live and then you can like watch us. It's, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I remember we were chatting about this at DragCon a few weeks ago. So just for people that don't know, did you want to share what Orca is? Is this for live stream shopping? It's it's a third party live stream shopping facilitator. How would I describe it? Yeah, so basically like they produce like the TikTok live shop, like the Kim Chic Beauty live shop. So then in their office, they have like a whole setup like with the cameras and and like all the makeup and all the space. Essentially, they're like the producers, like to put it simply. Got it. And then you're part of TikTok's new shopping program, right? You have, do you have the in-app checkout? Yes. You can buy straight up on the app. We've had so many beauty brands talk about how they've had hit or miss experiences with live stream shopping. For some of them, it turns out really well. Others say they don't see a lot of sales. How do you find success on live stream shopping? I think for us, consistency is the key. Like we go live at the same time every day um, with the same host um, who knows like a lot of the fans. And then, you know, because we're like an all-inclusive brand, you know, like we truly make it feel like everybody's welcome. Um, and that's why we have like our like inside jokes. We're like, oh, our host Christian is like living in the basement. Um, please buy the makeup so we can get her out and move her to like a higher floor. <laughs> and that's been like an ongoing, um, one of the ongoing jokes. Um, and just stuff like that, like just kind of like creating like a community with itself. And do you like to host the lives yourself? Yes, it's really fun whenever I go on. You're in your QVC host era. And I do like a lot of giveaways too. And then we play like silly little games like guess the number I'm thinking in my head. The first person to guess it, like guess like this like special item. Or like let's do an ice buy. Um, like which product, you know, like just like a lot of stuff like that. And people have fun with it, very engaging. Yeah, and then do you have a sense of the audience? Is this mostly Gen Z? What are you seeing with your target audience? Our audience like really varies. Um, I mean, a lot of drag queens, obviously, but also a lot of women. Um, 
from like 18 to 35. And then also like a lot of like moms, like moms love us. And what about the CVS launch? You've been in CVS for a year now. Mm -hmm. What did that mean for the brand? How big of a sales channel is that? Oh my God. I mean, we're like nationwide and like over 330 plus stores. Um, and it's really cool because one of my friends in particular, um, who's a drag queen, she's like, oh, whenever I travel, um, I always like use the store web locator on your website to like find where the closest like CVS is because I always forget something and then I, I know I can get it from CVS. And then did that open up awareness of the brand to a wider audience? Mm -hmm. Oh, not only open up like wider audience, yeah. Like a lot of people who may not even follow drag or like know me, see these like fun, bright packaging in the store. Um, and then they'll buy it. I've seen like a lot of TikToks like where um I am trying to like brand called CV um Kimchi Beauty that I just found at CVS. Um, let's see how good the setting spray is. Oh, it's actually amazing. A lot of stuff like that. Yeah, it's really cool. And also, like, not a lot of people are able to, like, order stuff online, especially, um, like, you know, like, kids who doesn't have a credit card or, <laughs> like, a bank account. Um, they're able to just walk into CVS and, like, buy it. What are your top-selling products now? Our top-selling products are um, Puff of Pass. It actually, like, went viral. Um, yeah, when we couldn't, like, keep it in stock. Our um, most concealer is, like, loved by so many people. It's actually a lot of product, and the coverage is so great. And also, um, our stage-proof matte setting spray is really popular. Um, all of our palettes do pretty well, too. And we just launched lashes, which are great. I'm wearing them right now. Amazing. And what about the viral product? Did you want to talk about what that was and how did it go viral? So, um, Makeup by Aryu, who's like a really famous makeup artist, um, just randomly said um, on their Instagram story one day, like, oh, this is the best setting powder I've ever used. And then ever since that video went out, the sales just like, boop. <laughs> and it's really good product. Um, first, it's like a lot of product for your buck. And... It gives you like a smooth finish that almost looks like airbrushed and it keeps your makeup on there all day long. So yeah, people love it. I love it. The TikTok effect is so wild because we've talked to so mm -hmm. many brands that say that once something goes viral, then it just totally sells out. How do you respond to that? Do you keep an eye on what's blowing up? Like, is there any way to like have a contingency plan for that or um no so the thing with like viral content is like if you try to make something viral it will never go viral you can't force it it just has to happen naturally you know it's kind of like winning a lottery in a sense but when you try to like force some uh, force something or force virality is that a word <laughs> when you like try to force it people can tell and people immediately get put off by it um, but if it happens naturally, yeah, it's your lucky day. So we are running this during Pride Month, and mm -hmm. Pride Month is obviously the biggest time where we see so many beauty brands launching Pride palettes and collections. What are you guys doing for Pride Month? 
So we are launching on June 2nd a new donut palette collection inspired by my love of donuts <laughs> um, or inspired by different flavors of donuts, um, which has all the colors you ever need for a bright, colorful prize season. And then we also launched mini electric fans to keep you cool during those like hot pride parade days. And then did you want to talk about um, why as a brand it's important to get involved with pride, especially with your brand and um, what it means to you? Now more than ever. I mean, first of all, I mean, we are uh, LGBTQIA plus own brand, you know? Um, so it's just naturally like, you know, we show up and we show out. But especially now more than ever with in this political climate where drag is, you know, being banned in places, um, a lot of people who preach freedom of speech are like deflecting from their own shortcomings and trying to blame and deflect their problems in the trans community and drag queens because, you know, we're such like a minority that most people hardly come in contact with. So it's easier to um, demonize something that you're not going to come across on a regular basis. And we're being persecuted right now. So it's now more important than ever for us as a community to like stick together and show up and show out. Especially... um. A lot of brands in particular and corporates, they're not trying to, they're not really working with um LGBTQI plus creators right now, especially like after all that Bud Light controversy. Um so people need to pay attention to the brands that are actually working with um creators in our community because they're the real ones. Like and it's just not performative. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the recent Target situation and Target's response to that? You know, I feel like by doing that, they basically um bent backwards for they basically let them win, you know? They said always oh, to protect protect our employees. So how do they know that um more people are gonna start doing that um when they go to like these stores to get out the um price stuff removed from the stores you know if anything they should have like held their ground and say like the products are staying no matter what to let them know you know like this is a battle you're not gonna win yeah it's messed up I don't think Target should have ever pulled anything or beefing up beef up your security how about that yeah do you think when a brand launches a pride initiative or works with a creator and then backs down from that are they supporting the narrative of the people attacking them absolutely absolutely and also i always tell people when you're buying a price themed merch from like a corporate always check and make sure that the proceeds are being donated to something because a lot of times like these companies will slap rainbow and something and sell it but then the proceeds just go to themselves. So who are we really benefiting here? Then we as consumers are just giving these corporates who actually donates a lot of money to like anti-LGBT like you know causes our money. So yeah, always check and make sure that the proceeds are going somewhere like good and not just to the corporate. Yeah, and then do you work with specific organizations? 
Now, we work at the Travel Project for LGBTQI plus community suicide prevention, which is very important because um, we have the highest rate of suicide. And then you've also taken a stand against the drag bands on the brand's page, on the brand's Instagram. Why do you think it's important to speak out? Because there's so much talk about kind of um, with Pride especially, how much do you show up for the party and how much do you show up for the fight? So why did you think it was important to take a stand on these issues, especially from the brand side? We're getting picked on because we're such a marginalized group and, you know, maybe we make up for like 1% of the population. But we have to let them know one voice may be weak, but all the voices combined together is strong as ever. Um and that is why it's important for everyone to speak up and show up. And then for brands deciding to work with drag queens and feature them in their campaigns, how important is it for brands to speak up and defend them when they're being attacked? You know, they, the way our capitalist, <laughs> not to sound, <laughs> the way our capitalistic society is like structured and the way America is structured. Corporates actually have so much power, you know? And to everybody that's in the upper um, high letter of corporates, you know, you may be rich, but how much time, like, are you actually, like, going to be on Earth? Our time on Earth is so short. Um, I personally don't care about being rich, like, but if I'm able to live comfortably and get along with everyone else around me, I think... I'll be a very happy person, you know? So if you have the means, I'm not saying you have to, like, donate your wealth, but, you know, just instead of, like, just thinking about your own pocket and collecting this wealth that's just eventually going to be passed down to your kids, why not um, try to make the world a better place little by little, you know? <laughs> and speaking of right-wing censorship initiatives. You also have a novel coming out related to libraries. So you're kind of talking about all these topics more broadly. Did you want to talk about that project? I know it's not beauty, but it's also very interesting. Growing up, public libraries meant a lot to me. Um, you know, like whenever like I feel like home wasn't like a safe place to be around, I go to the public library um, I go to the public library and use the internet. I use, like, the um, programs they have to, like, learn English. Um, I borrow CDs and then, like, then burn the CDs, like, the music into my computer. Um, and then, and then during summer, they'll have, like, programs where, you know, like, you read a certain amount of books and then you get a sticker. And if you collect enough stickers, um, you get, like, a voucher, like, for this, like, restaurant and stuff like that. And then, you know, because I grew up, like, basically in poverty and poor. Um, that was like a way for me to like feed myself <laughs> too. Um, and also I got to like help our public library like organize their anime festival, um, which is how I decided actually, oh, I want to be a graphic design from like making their flyers. Um, so basically, yeah, public library helped me shape me to be the person that I am today. And... I was reading an article on how so many of the public libraries are losing their funding. So, like, that really made me upset because I think public libraries are so important to the community. 
um, and then that tweet actually like went viral like in the library community <laughs> and librarians from like all around the world were like sending me messages and like thank you for like speaking out about this like we really appreciate it um, and things like that and then after that um, a book deal happened <laughs> where I get to basically um, write a story about it's loosely based on my life you know um, and bring awareness to like the my love of public libraries and how important they are to the communities. Yeah, it's so interesting because the right wingers want to defund public libraries in some cases, and then in other cases, they are also attacking drag queens for getting involved in libraries and doing readings and that sort of thing. Like, do you think? What do you think about that? And is that kind of ironic to you? I just personally, like, do not understand, <laughs> you know, like, the public libraries, I don't know, <laughs> it makes me so sad, too. Like, what are you hoping to achieve by taking away from public libraries? Like, you're, they're really like the Grinch who stole Christmas, you know, like, do you sleep well at night, you know, knowing that <laughs> you're, like, ruining people's lives? Um you know, the public library is not just, like, a place for you to, like, lend books, but it also, like, um, helps people, you know, like, fill out their job applications. Um, people who don't speak English, they have, like, a lot of, like, programs for them to, you know, like, get better accustomed, you know, like, to America. And, you know, you know, public libraries are such an important part of our community. It's making me tear up <laughs> thinking about them. <laughs> I love libraries so much. Yeah, and you have so many projects going on. You have the book deal, and then you also have your own podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's called One for the Table, number one for the table. And that's focused on food, right? Yeah, so my TikTok is also like um, food-based as well. Um, I almost feel like a renaissance man at this point, <laughs> working on so many different things. But it's more like I'm like scatterbrained and can't focus on one thing. Um, but yeah, so... Food is, like, one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> and trying new flavors and trying, like, new ethnic cuisine is, like, my favorite thing to do. And one of my best friends, John Kong, who's also, like, a famous internet chef personality, when we get together, all we do is talk about food, um, like, for hours. So I was like, why don't we um, do a podcast and, you know, like, let people in our conversation and then that's how it got started. And you've done food videos with a brand as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked at Chipotle. Um, I was doing like a national campaign for Postmates. Um, oh, my God. I've done so many of these. I'm, like, drawing a blank right now. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I've been booked and blessed um, to work with a lot of, like, cool brands um, regarding food. Well, you have so much going on. Just a few questions to wrap up. Coming back to beauty, did you want to share anything that's next for your brand? Is there any product category you want to hint at? Are we going to see any new retailer partnerships? Wink, wink, hint, hint. Oh, I don't know how much I'm like allowed to say. <laughs> but um, we do actually have some cool stuff coming out. But the only one I can tease right now at the moment is like the donut collection. But yeah, keep an eye out. And also check out our TikTok shop too. It's fun. 
All right. Keep an eye out. And then looking even further into the future, obviously NYX Cosmetics was sold to L'Oreal back in the day. To get really into a corporate business question, do you have an exit strategy in mind in the future for your brand or what are your hopes for the future long term of Kimchi Cheek? Oh my God, I hope to be a part of Kimchi Beauty till the day I croak. <laughs> um, I don't know, like I feel like I'm like an artist before I'm a business person, you know? Um, and... I, this has been so much fun. I want to like keep doing it for the rest of my life. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we look forward to seeing everything the brand has in store in the future. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.